0: hello everybody and welcome back to the music for a book podcast we are your hosts i'm Britt, and i'm hannah and every two weeks we read and review a book and we assign a song to it we kind of chit chat give a good detailed book review and have some fun along the way so welcome back to our sixth episode
1: Yes, and this starts our spooky series here in October. Spooky series. So uh, we have a fun one for you today. Very excited about this one. For this episode, we will be going over a little bit of the plot synopsis, give some trigger warnings, and then go into our song choices. As we've said episodes before, we are heavily in our Taylor Swift era. So if the songs lean that way, welcome. All to Swifties, you'll love it and enjoy it. And then after our song choices, we will be going into our book review and book synopsis. That is when you are entering a spoiler zone. So if you want to remain spoiler free, pause the episode, read the book. Highly recommend you to read it first and then join us. Or if you want to be spoiled and listen along, then get ready and let's go. Dear
0: Reader just to go over some general trigger warnings for the only one left it is a gothic mystery thriller i wouldn't say horror i would say like gothic thriller is probably the better term for it um there are some murders death suicide attempted suicide infidelity there's some mild sexual content nothing too crazy but it does it does talk about it and there is also pregnancy along with just some general like creepy, unsettling feelings that happened too.
1: Yes. All right. So The Only One Left is a gothic thriller about a young caregiver assigned to work for a woman accused of a Lizzie Borden-like massacre decades earlier. What is now reduced to a schoolyard chant, the Hope family murders shocked the Maine Coast with One Bloody Night in 1929. The schoolyard chant goes, At 17, Lenora Hope hung her sister with a rope, stabbed her father with a knife, took her mother's happy life. It wasn't me, Lenora said, but she's the only one not dead. So where our story starts is with Kit, who's the caregiver is assigned to care for the infamous Lenora Hope. And this takes us on a journey. This book has some thrills,
0: chills, some twists, some turns. It's very atmospheric. So if you are into, like Hannah said, it is like a Lizzie Borden-esque or Lizzie Borden-inspired kind of novels. So if you're interested in that kind of topic or genre of book, Highly recommend picking this one up, giving it a try, reading it, listening to it. All good all around.
1: Yes. All right. We ready for our song choices?
0: Yeah. I just feel like my choice is really going (laughs) to, people are not going to understand why I'm picking this song. I, I obviously have my reasons and I will explain them later, but I had multiple songs written. I branched out to see if I wanted anything outside of Taylor Swift or Harry Styles I just kept coming back. It's probably just because that's where my brain is right now and I can't do anything outside of that. But the song I ended up choosing was Dear Reader by Taylor Swift.
1: I like it. All the dots connect
0: and I have an explanation.
1: <laughs> I'm excited. My song choice to me was a pretty obvious one that came to me like pretty early on. And then as I started reading more, it like clicked even more, but mine is right where you left me.
0: Ooh. So, yeah. I love that that is my second favorite Taylor Swift song of all time. Can't wait to hear about it. So now, we are heading in to dangerous territory. If you don't want spoilers for this book, if you don't want to know what happens, if you want the shocking twists and turns to yourself, back out now. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200 really just get on down while you can because there are a lot like several many twists and turns and we will be revealing all of them
1: yes and we'll probably be talking about how they for got foreshadowed what we missed Mm -hmm. so if you really don't want to be spoiled please read the book yes and then come back but if you're ready to be spoiled and go along with us for the journey or you've already read it Welcome, welcome to spooky series number one of Music for a Book podcast.
0: I am gonna first start out by saying, I was talking to Hannah earlier about this, but I personally love Riley Sager. He is one of my personal favorite thriller authors. The last couple of his books have kind of fallen flat. So I was really excited when I heard like rave reviews about this one from everyone coming in. So I had high expectations and I will say, I do think they lived up to my expectations.
1: Yeah, this was my first Riley Sager book, and I would like to read more. I had a pretty busy week this week, so I did listen to like the first 75% of this book on audiobook. I highly recommend it. The narrators are great. There is a little dual perspective, so there's like two narrators. So if you are busy or you're driving, audiobook is a great way to do it. The last 25% of this book I had to read myself because it was just that good. But yeah, love
0: it. The book is structured a little bit differently because we have actual chapters and then the chapters that are from another perspective that are written in typewriter letters are not numbered at all they are just interspersed into the chapters so when we talk about them there's no real like chapter this chapter that it's just kind of falling within the book as it goes so we open up with someone's perspective this is a non-chaptered chapter and it says We're at the typewriter again, Lenora in her wheelchair and me standing beside her as I placed her left hand atop the keys. And so we are to assume that this is a caregiver of Lenora Hope. There is a little transcript of their conversation from the night before there. And it says, I want to tell you everything, things I've never told anyone else. Yes, about that night, because I trust you. In the caregiver's perspective, she's like, I do not trust Lenora. She's capable of so little, yet accused of doing so much. The caregiver is very obviously shaken up, not quite sure if she wants to know exactly what happened, but she helps Lenora type. It starts off by just saying
1: the thing I remember most. Yep, we get the first typewritten letter. The first sentence is, the thing I remember most, the thing I still have nightmares about, is when it was all but over. So it kind of talks about that night, the infamous night in 1929. So it says, my nightgown stained red, my hands warm and sticky with blood, the knife still in my grip. The life that I had mere hours ago was now gone forever, as were my parents. So obviously, right, we know that it's about that night, the rhyme that we said, right, that was Lenora Hope killed her parents, hung her sister, and she was the only one alive. So this is definitely from Lenora's perspective, we assume, and kind of talking about that night and how that's what she remembers most and that she still has nightmares about. And she talks about how when she looks down at the knife, she knows that she could use it again. One last slice, one final stab. She just couldn't bring herself to do it. So instead of, you know, using the knife again, she just tosses it into the ocean. From the background, she can hear her sister scream and went to go grab some rope and that she ends that first letter with you want to know if i'm as evil as everyone says i am the answer is no and yes
0: and this is where we start the journey of the only one left and it is man is it a journey so the first official chapter we get to meet our main narrator kit mcdeer who is a home health aide she is not a nurse but she has gone through like their certification process she's been doing this for 12 years and so she goes over kind of like how she got into it so girlane home health aids is where she is based out of and mr Gerlane is the man who organizes all of the aids gives them their assignments everything like that and so kind of goes through her story how she got started called her a you're a caregiver now you don't nurse you care And really instilling this, no matter what the scenario or situation, the patients are the number one thing that you care for. They are your number one priority always. She wasn't sure if she was going to actually be able to return to the home health aides and actually get a new assignment because she was suspended without pay six months ago. We don't quite know exactly what happened, but we do know that it was bad enough for her to think that she might never be able to do this job again. You know, Mr. Gurlain said, it's time for a fresh start, clean slate. When she's like, okay, cool, you have a new assignment for me. Like, are we ready? And he said, I do. You know, the patient suffered a series of strokes many years ago, requires constant care. She had a full-time nurse, a private one, who departed quite suddenly. Kit started to think, constant care, okay, that means that you would be a live-in aide. And so she kind of goes over the differences between what we she would have to do for someone who just needed help during the day versus someone who does require living care and room and board are provided but you're on call 24 hours a day like any time off that you would need would have to be worked out with the patient and the patient's family and she's like yeah i'm interested you know when would the jobs start and he said immediately you gotta go he basically said i see no other reason why you wouldn't be kept on until you're no longer needed which is kind of the sad reality of the caregiver's job and no longer needed means until the patient passes away. Here's where things, we find out who she's going to see. And she's like, okay, where's it located? And he said, out of town on the cliffs. And the cliffs are this place that's kind of too good to be true. These are like rocky bluffs. They overlook the ocean. They're reserved for like the tip top wealthy. This book is also set in the eighties. That should be noted. So she's like, okay, I mean, what's the catch here? Like, this sounds pretty amazing to me. She had been living at home with her dad in her childhood bedroom. She's like, I just got to get out of here. Like, I got to... She had been hooking up with this kid, Kenny, the neighbor kid who was far too young for her. She's in her early 30s. He was in his early 20s. She was like, we can't. We can't be doing this anymore. And so... She asks, like, why did the previous nurse leave? All he was told was that finding a replacement has been a problem. And this is why. When she asks who the patient is, he said, Lenora Hope. Yep. Yeah, it's just the immediate shock. She said she was flabbergasted. She never had experienced an emotion quite like this.
1: Yeah, and so Mr. Gurlain is like, oh, do you have a problem with the assignment? (laughs) And, you know, like we said, right, she's suspended like this is her first assignment back and you know she thinks to herself like yes I have a problem Mr. Gurlain thinks I'm guilty still and you know he has no legal grounds to fire me but maybe giving me this like sketchy assignment might change his mind and get me to quit right is kind of what she's thinking her response is just considering what she's done I don't think I feel comfortable taking care of someone like Lenora Hope and Mr. Gurlain is like well she was never convicted of any crime Since she was never proven guilty, then we have no choice to believe she's innocent. I thought of you of all people would appreciate that. So it kind of circles back to this thing that she she suspected of doing, but was never proven. Kind of just wondering like, okay, maybe I should give her the benefit of the doubt because that's what I want people to do for me too, is what Kit's kind of thinking.
0: Yeah. Would you get a glimpse into like the relationship with her dad? because her mom had passed away. Her dad's barely spoken to her in the last six months. She feels like as much as this makes her uncomfortable, it would be more uncomfortable to stay at home. Jobless with her dad who can't look her in the eye, can't talk to her. Her dad, there's there's not really an answer yet, but he does say what they're saying is not true Kit Kat. And so he's trying to make her feel better about the like the situation that we don't even know about yet. And he's devastated over everything. Kit feels lost, and she said, you know what, I'm gonna go. They chose me because Lenora Hope is the one patient nobody, not even the police, will mind if I kill.
1: So Kit killed somebody, it sounds like. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. She was suspended without pay, so. So chapter two starts with Kit gathering her belongings and getting ready to head towards Hope's end to be the new caregiver for Lonora Hope. She uh, looks at her belongings. She takes a medical bag, a suitcase, and a box. And her box is filled with books, paperbacks mostly, which I feel, we've said before, I'm a paperback girl. I love my paperbacks. But I love the quote that she says her mom used to say too. So you're never alone when there's a book nearby. Never ever. Mm -hmm. So I want all of you guys to remember that as well. That's why we're here, because you're never alone if you have a book nearby. So remember that. I love. Thanks, Kit's mom. Eh, even though the next line from Kit is, "Well, she appreciated the sentiment. She knows it's a lie." For six months, she was surrounded by books and have never has never felt more alone. Mm-hmm. But I still believe that if there's a book nearby, you're not alone. alone. I agree. As she is getting ready to leave, she, her dad's in his lazy boy, watching TV, eating a sandwich. She believes that he has a girlfriend that he's not telling her about. That he heard them talking in the living room last week, and she was surprised by like the sound of another woman's voice and that her father snuck out the next night and she says like he was either too afraid to admit he started dating or maybe too ashamed to risk her bumping into his new lady friend and so now she's the one sneaking out leaving the situation keep avoiding it and on to her next adventure Mm -hmm. as she's leaving she does run into her little friends with benefits Penny from next door and he asks oh are you moving out and she just tells him that she got a new assignment. She was 11 years old when Kenny was born. So she's like, this has to stop. Like, this is not going anywhere. And then she goes back her last trip into the house. And she runs into her dad. And she tells him, you know, dad, I'm leaving. She says her father almost sounds relieved. And she tells him that she's back on the job. And that her new patient's a stroke victim and lives out on the cliff. She says he doesn't even, like, show any emotion. And just says, okay. And... She says how if she were to tell him the name of, like, her patient, that would definitely get his attention, but she's going to keep it to herself because she also thinks that knowing that she's taking care of Lenora, hope that he might think less of her. And she says she'll check in every two weeks with him, and he just says, no need. They don't have a goodbye, just silence silence as she leaves, and she just feels invisible, and uh, she doesn't want to say goodbye because she doesn't want that silence to be met on the other side so she just leaves and says good riddance to that house we're heading up to hope's end with
0: kit now and as she's driving up she's kind of reminiscing on conversations with her mom about how it's not even how the other half lives on the cliffs but it's rarefied air it is reserved for the the top of the top perched on top of everything itself kit says as if god himself had placed them there the one thing about riley sager in general in this book to me was like the atmospheric descriptions and energy that i got from everything i could visually see feel like i was standing there like i could picture everything in great detail i knew exactly where everything was i could picture what it looked like i felt like i was really transported to hope's end and that's another thing too they she had only heard it be called, like, the Hope House. And she's like, Hope's end. It strikes me as oddly apocalyptic for the name of an estate, especially considering what happened there. So, she said, you know, her knowledge doesn't extend far beyond the Lenora Hope school schoolground rhyme that everyone had come up with, but...
1: Real quick. Yeah. So, this house, I don't know if you read a series of Unfortunate Events, but it reminds me of, like, in, early in the series... There's this house that they described as like on these stilts and it just like sways back Ooh, and forth. Yeah. And like I just picture like this house similar. Yes, to that. I did not read it, it's but I did
0: crazy. watch like some of it. So mm-hmm. no, yes.
1: And Meryl Streep in the movie it was Meryl Streep was their guardian during that mm-hmm. time. But um, but that's just what I pictured is like this house that like just, moving. Is like three. yes, yeah. It's almost like it's alive. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: And so Sorry. but no god you're fine so kit talks a little bit more about the backstory of the hope family we have winston hope who was the father and he was in shipping he built his estate on the coast we are in maine so northern maine and he had a wife named evangeline and two daughters lenora and virginia the one thing that kit does know was one long ago october night three of them were murdered the fourth member was accused of murdering them and was a 17-year-old girl. Now she's the town legend, and she's the one who has to take care of the town legend. On the way up, she sees spray-painted words that say, Rotten Hell, Lenora Hope. And even after all these years have passed, because again, this happened in 1929, and we're now into the 80s, and Lenora's in her 70s. This is still carrying on. The reputation of the Hope House has not has not faltered at all. Reputation precedes it
1: reputation's never been worse
0: never ever (laughs) i knew i knew there would be a taylor swift reference (laughs) (laughs) and so kit pulls up and she said this place is not a house like this is genuinely a mansion so three stories tall seemingly as wide as a cruise ship and it is right on the edge of these bluff cliffs excessive amount of windows marbling detail sculpted like sculptures put in. She said the chimneys across the house looked like candles across a birthday cake. There were just so many of them. At the gate there was a little intercom system and she buzzes herself in and a woman interrupts and says, Come up to the house. So she pulls up, drives in, but there's not enough room in the in between the gates. So a guy comes out and helps her in. Very handsome, probably mid-thirties. He has a flannel shirt on. There's always got to be one hot guy in the story, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Always. He said, let's get this gate open so you can start. He said, safety first. I've learned the hard way this place can bite. And that kind of sticks with her a little bit. And so she asks if he works there. He does. We find out this guy's name is Carter. He is there as the groundskeeper. The only groundskeeper at the time. And before she goes on her way, her and Carter part ways, he does say, forget what everyone says about Lenora Hope and what happened here. They don't know what they're talking about. Miss Hope is completely harmless. And this statement is supposed to reassure her, but it sure does not. And it kind of drops her right back down to reality of she's going to meet the woman who just allegedly slaughtered her entire family and be the sole responsible caretaker for her. Immediately, it feels like the luxurious thought, the feeling that she had pulling up to it is shattered because she realizes that Hope's End is quite literally falling apart at the seams. There are windows that are missing panes. Marble has broken off. She said, at last, a place as broken as I feel. Almost immediately, the illusion of this like really beautiful, astonishing, luxurious house meant for the ultra-wealthy shows that there are cracks, there's falters, and it kind of comes in line with their story. So she gets out of the car, and we meet one of the other people who does work at Hope's End, and her name is Miss Baker. Mrs.
1: Mrs. Mrs. Baker. (laughs) Yes. Because we'll notice a distinction, because Mrs. Baker says it too, like, she wants to be referred as Mrs. Baker because it's a sign of respect. Mm -hmm. But In um, Lenora's typewriting pages, she's referred to as Miss Baker, Mm -hmm. which I thought was an interesting um, little distinction. Between the two,
0: absolutely. Mm
1: -hmm. So we get Mrs. Baker and
0: she comes out very monochromatic appearance. She has a black dress. There's a lace collar that kind of resembles doilies. She has blue eyes, pale skin bold cherry red lips she has a pair of cat eye frames she seems really put together but also very like curt and very proper very terse i think she's described as specifically she says welcome and it's like thank you even though there's literally nothing welcoming about this woman's tone at all she explains that she's the housekeeper she's been here Forever, She brings her in. The doorway is massive. She walks inside and immediately is like, oh, I wish I was home. This doesn't feel right. Something doesn't feel right here. She wants to desperately leave, but she knows that she'll be stuck in limbo like she has been for the last six months. Even a few weeks just working here might change everything for her. Might change her perspective, might change her trajectory. So she says, she takes a deep breath and allows Hope's End to swallow her whole. Which, again, the imagery, I just... Like, we're not going to be able to describe everything in detail, but just, I can picture vividly the grand staircase, the marble, the doorways. Like, there's just so many things. Mm
1: -hmm. Chapter 4 does state that the inside of Hope's End is nicer than the outside, but only slightly. So she starts describing, you know, what she's seeing, right? Like... That almost looks like a lobby of a four-star hotel, but that has been abandoned decades ago. Just long hallways, double doors, everywhere, just different turns and just how large of a scale this house is at. Mrs. Baker keeps moving throughout the house, giving her the tour and just tells Kit that she can collect her belongings later, and they have a little chat in the sunroom. So they walk by the portraits of the Hope family. Unlike Mrs. Baker, Kit is stopped cold by the portrait. Three out of four of the portraits are covered, so Lenora's is believed to be the only one that is left visible, seated on a white divan with her room behind her, and her hands rest on her lap, fingers intertwined, um, and Kit's like says it's suggesting attention the painter tried hard to disguise with too casual of a pose. She goes to describe her in this photo saying she has you know pale skin delicate features. It makes her think of a flower just before its blooms and that she has green eyes almost as bright as a stained glass over the grand stairs. There's a spark of mischief in her gaze almost as if she knows what people are saying about her decades in the future. Mrs. Baker like turns around to Kit who's still looking at the photo and st- just ushers her into the sunroom for their quick little chat, and she says she can faintly see the other portraits behind their like sheer cover of Winston, Evangeline, and Virginia. Lenora is believed to be the only one still on display because she's the only one left, uh. which is the name of our book, <laughs> which is always fun. I do, we do love
0: those little connections.
1: So they sit in the sunroom and have a little chat. Mrs. Baker tells Kit to tell her about herself, and as they start conversing, somebody walks into the room and it's Jessica um, who is the maid that is hired there and she is dusting and thought the room would be empty and Mrs. Baker's quick to be like nope I told you I needed this room can you go clean the foyer and Jesse's like I already did that and (laughs) Mrs. Baker's like well did my eyes deceive me and so Jesse leaves and Mrs. Baker makes a comment like it's so good it's so hard to find good help these days. And then kids a little taken aback thinking like, well, aren't I help too? And like, like aren't, aren't we? And also, aren't we are you help? the
0: help? Like you're the yeah, the housekeeper in general.
1: Like, so are we, are we not good? <laughs> Mrs. Baker just continues to the questioner like, oh, where's your
0: family from? What's your full name? As Mrs. Baker is kind of still grilling her, like, I assume that you know what you're doing. I assume you've learned a lot during your 12 years. And she said, you're practically a nurse. Like, do you have any experience caring for stroke victims? And she says, well, I ha- do you have some. And she explains that miss hope's condition might require more attention than you're accustomed to we learned that lenora was plagued by bad health most of her life she had a bout of polio in her 20s she suffered a series of strokes she's unable to speak and the right side of her body is paralyzed she can move her head and neck but sometimes it's difficult for her to control them she can use her left arm but it is very limited amount of use that she has she asks without even kind of realizing is that why the previous nurse left and Mrs. Baker said, Mary? No, she was quite good at her job. She'd been with us for more than a year. Ms. Hope adored her. And now Kit's kind of like, Well, why did she why did she suddenly leave? Like, what happened? Mrs. Baker said, I wish I knew. She didn't tell anyone why she was leaving. She just disappeared into the middle of the night, basically. This is where we find out that Mrs. Baker does know what Kit was accused of doing or what Kit does, because she said poor Miss Hope was left unattended all night, which during that time, something terrible could have occurred. As you well know, considering what happened to the last person in your care, Kit's really taken aback. She's like, well, I can hold, I can explain. Like, let me explain. She said, you know, she had a patient. She was sick from stomach cancer when they found out it was far too late and it had spread everywhere. Surgery wasn't possible. Chemo only went so far. It was really just a bad situation all around. So they just kind of had to keep her comfortable, wait till the end rolled around, and the pain was terrible for her at the end for this patient. The patient's doctor gave her fentanyl, a prescription for it, and it was to be taken sporadically and when needed. She gave her a single dose of fentanyl, monitored the pain, went to bed. Next morning, she woke up, and she found out that her patient had been non-responsive. So call 911, EMTs came in. That's when she had noticed that the bottle of fentanyl was still on table next to the patient. The fentanyl bottle was empty. Only one pill remained in the bottle. Mrs. Baker's like, well, do we think it was intentional? Kit goes, yes, I think she knew exactly what she was doing. Kit says, well, leaving the bottle within her reach was negligent. Like, I don't disagree about that. But everyone thought the worst of me. I did not give her those pills. I did not intentionally leave them there. That was a complete and utter mistake. She took them on her own. I didn't force the pills on her. Kit was never actually charged with a crime. Now she's back on the job and most people just kind of assume the worst about her. Mrs. Baker asked her if she did intentionally leave those pills out, which is kind of a bold question. But I mean, if she is going to be taking care of someone that's in her care currently... It makes sense, and she said, an honest one. It's an honest question, which deserves an honest answer. Kit just asks her, would you believe me if I said no? She says something that I thought was really interesting, and it said, those of us at Hope's end aren't like most people. Here, we give young women accused of terrible deeds the benefit of the doubt. You know, everyone thinks Miss Hope is the person responsible, and Kit goes, is she? Well, is she? You're going to ask me, basically. And Mrs. Baker goes, would you believe me if I said no? And I really liked that kind of hint of like, well, we're one in the same here. You're like us. We're like you. Just come in and do your job and we'll be good. The one thing, though, that I did have tabbed was she's Lenora Hope's new caregiver. And she said, it doesn't matter that I lied to Mrs. Baker, not just about my previous patient but about Lenora Hope. They head down the hallway. They're going to give the rest of the tour of the Grand Hope's End. And she said Lenora's oil-painted eyes seem to follow us as we pass. What is Kit lying about? What's she... What's she lying about? Right? I have, like, the worst feeling about Mrs. Baker immediately. I couldn't place it. I didn't know why. Right. But there was something about her that I didn't like and I didn't trust.
1: Yeah. Mrs. Baker and Kit continue their little tour up to Lenora's room. Mrs. Baker says, you know, budgetary restrictions. We only keep a small household staff. So there's Carter that takes care of the outside. Jessica, who takes care of the inside. Archibald, or Archie as we will refer to him as. Cooks. And Kit's just... You know, boldly asking these questions. So she asked Miss Baker, Oh, what, and what do you do? And Mrs. Baker is like, Well, I'm the housekeeper. She just says that she keeps the house in the best condition as possible under the limited circumstances. And with Miss Hope unable to serve as caretaker of the state, she has assumed this burden. So she describes how long she's been with Miss Hope and she says, Decades that she arrived in 1928, hired to tutor Miss Hope. And her sister, that she was only 19 herself, and she intended to stay a year or two. And that plan changed following the incident as she left and went to Europe for a little bit of time. And when her fiancé died, she chose to return to Hope's end and devote her life to Miss Hope's care. And Kit notices that, you know, Lenora's kept upstairs, asks if there's an elevator, and there's not. So uh, Kit's kind of like, uh, how do I take her outside? Like, she can't be just staying in her room all day mrs baker just says you know miss hope hasn't been outside of this house in decades it will never happen that she will never leave her room that that is where she is to stay we kind of get a little bit more feel of the house too like saying it's alive almost right that it like tilts and shifts and you know you touch a doorknob and it swings open and just kind of goes over more of the the instability of this house that's sitting on the edge of a cliff and she shows her quarters and tells her she needs to change into her uniform, which is a which is a little nurse's uniform. Yeah. It I was just picturing
0: like the little Halloween costumes, like the spirit Halloween nurse's uniform. That was like right? a little too short.
1: Yeah. And so she finally meets Lenora Hope. I just like the way she is described. She says she sucks in a breath when Mrs. Baker opens the door, feeling the need to brace herself. And Kit says, for what, I don't know. It's not as if Lenora Hope will be standing just inside a knife in one hand and a noose in the other. But instead she sees that room hasn't really changed, right? From that portrait that she saw in the hallways. So the pink stripes are there the white divan is there. And she describes it as feeling like Alice going through the looking glass. But instead of Wonderland, she's transported through that portrait of Lenora Hope downstairs. And you can see the ocean from the windows in her room. And she finally notices the wheelchair parked in the corner. And it is a woman still and silent. And she is Lenora Hope in the flesh. Not holding a knife or a noose. No,
0: unfortunately. Fortunately, we didn't get that much action at the beginning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We highlight again here that it isn't until Lenora lifts her head that she sees a single bit of color. So she thinks that basically... Lenora is described as like just being a ghost, like it's the ghost of Lenora, but when she looks at Kit, she sees her piercing green eyes and that they're almost as bright as the portrait downstairs. She describes them as like reminding her of lasers and that they just like burn as she like looks, that they're just blazing and she just wants to stare into her bright eyes if she can recognize a piece of herself in them. The thing
0: that I really like about Riley Sager's writing is because it reads how my brain reads things. I... I'm so sorry if you hate this person, but I am a person who sends thoughts and multiple messages. Like, I'm not a paragraph girly. I will send you all of my thoughts, seven messages back to back. No regret. That's how it works. But this is how he I feel like the staccato in which he writes makes the pacing seem very intense. And it's like little thoughts interspliced together. And there's kind of this overwhelming sense of dread. And I think he does an amazing job of that through most of Kit's chapters where These moments of like, oh God, what's happening? Just kind of sliced together in these little bits. Like here, it's just the chant of Lenora Hope where at 17, Lenora Hope, and then it cuts to, I wonder if I should be scared. Hung her sister with a rope, because I am. Stabbed her father with a knife, even though there's no reason to be scared. Took her mother's happy life. And that was one of the things that I just loved most from like a reader's perspective of the book because the pacing of it, it was like a slow burn and a slow build, but I still felt like it was like there was enough there to keep me interested in what was going on.
1: Definitely. Um, And I think listening to it too, it just like went by so fast, even though, you know, we talk about a lot of these books, like major plot points don't happen to like 75% in, Um, you know, like major like twists and turns, but this one didn't feel like it dragged on to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Like I enjoyed a lot of, Before then, too. But I'm not a paragraph girl either. I will text you multiple times as I'm thinking. I just have separate thoughts,
0: and they need need to be able to be replied to separately.
1: (laughs) Yes, if you saw mine and Brittany's (laughs) actual, like, text thread, you would understand. It's a disaster.
0: (laughs) Kit's walking up to Lenora, introducing herself, saying, Hello, Lenora. And Mrs. Baker interrupts her and says, Miss Hope, the help must never refer to the lady of the house by her Christian name and she said sorry hello miss hope and so it feels like lenora doesn't even acknowledge her and she feels like she's kind of bracing for impact. she introduces herself and says i'm kit kit mcdeer and lenora's eyes kind of lock back onto her own and she said she feels like she sees curiosity and there's just something about the way she's looking at her that kind of strikes her as odd like she's seeing a reflection in a mirror staring back at her and so she asks her you know would you like it if i took care of you from now on and she nods and that was the start of her journey as a caregiver for lenora Hope. we move on to another letter and in this letter it's detailed about her and her sister's kind of rivalry that they had and how the disparities that they had between them growing up and how different they were, how obvious they were, and how the relationship was pretty much non-existent. You could consider it strained, but I would say it was probably more non-existent at that point. And in this letter, we just see her getting painted by Peter Ward, who's doing the family portraits. And she's dreaming of Peter Looking at her like a woman and desiring her and wanting her, and just wanting more out of life, wanting more out of Hope's End. How she said Hope's End was her father's tribute to himself. And he wanted to show everyone how rich he was. And she just wanted more out of life. She wanted the love. But what she did note was that even though she was desiring these things, it was her sister that was kind of acting on them so her sister would come up behind peter and flirt with him and say oh you really are the most talented man that i've ever seen and it just continued to build this kind of gap between the sisters she continually referred to her sister as someone that won every single time in regards to this game that their father would play where he would lock them in a room person that went the longest without begging to be let out would get a prize it's usually money or dinner or a gold bracelet and how she won every time but it wasn't just those games she won at life she was the the one who was really living in this materialistic life whereas she was sitting there going I just want to be out of this prison of this house I want to live my life and she said her worst fear was basically just being trapped in her room all day every day and never leaving just kind of getting a little glimpse into what their relationship was like with both their father and each other
1: so the next chapter goes into kit and mrs baker talking about lenora's routine so that she has a walkman that she can listen to books that jessica's been reading to her on different things they talk about lenora as if she's not even in the room with them kit asks mrs baker what does miss hope do for fun and Mrs. Baker is kind of taken aback, like, fun? She doesn't have fun. <laughs> yeah. She has nothing in her room all day. She notices that there's a typewriter on the desk and asks if that's for Miss Hope. And Mrs. Baker says, you know, in her youth, she wanted to be a writer. And when Mary, the previous nurse, discovered this fact, she bought a typewriter with the intent of teaching Miss Hope how to use it. And she says that Mary never taught her how to use it, but Mrs. Baker says that she didn't learn how to communicate by tapping her left hand. So that's really the only thing that she has control over. So it's once for no and two taps for yes. As they're going through the routine, Kit kind of looks over at Lenora and does notice a bruise on Lenora's forearm and just wondering what that could have been from. Mm -hmm.
0: Now she's going through doing her typical things with Lenora, you know, all of her reflexes react in the way they're expected to even for someone who is paralyzed who has weakened muscle function so she takes a snow globe that's sitting on like a sideboard in the room it has an eiffel tower inside she puts it in lenora's hand it's heavy and her hand kind of like trembles under the weight and so she's just trying to figure out what capacity lenora has with her with her hands so she starts asking some questions like have you ever been to paris she says no who gave you the snow globe was your parent she says yes and she asks lenora if she misses her parents and lenora kind of pauses and thinks but she taps twice for yes and she goes and your sister do you miss her too and lenora had a single tap one so adamant that it actually hurt no she did not miss her sister we do get to see how much function lenora actually has when using something like the typewriter so Kit's curious. She, yes, so she wheels Lenora over to the typewriter. Mm-hmm, to the desk. To the desk, just to see what's going on with the typewriter. And so Lenora seems super happy, very pleased with this. She can't quite do it herself. You know, Kit has to hit the, the return bar to bring the carriage back, press the space bar for her, so she needs help. But Lenora's hands can physically type out letters. Lenora starts typing on the typewriter, and... She pulls the line up and it just says, hello, Kit, because Lenora can't speak. This is her only method of communication besides those tap. Lenora starts typing, pecks along these keys, and what she said is, my body is dead, but my mind is
1: alive. This is another thing that reminded me of Taylor me too. Swift. Oh, literally, I was like, oh, my mind is alive. <laughs> yeah, there's a, if you haven't watched it, I... Uh... I recommend a good laugh is to look for the video of Taylor Swift after LASIK surgery. Specifically Um, the Jimmy Fallon interview, if you want to see her
0: reaction before and after.
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, But she is like, you know, coming out of anesthesia or whatever. And just the thing she says is hilarious. But one of the things she says is my mind is alive. And it's just funny. You got to watch it. Yes.
0: So, you know, Lenora... And Lenora's mind is alive, just like Taylor's with the banana. (laughs) Kit is visibly shaken up. So Lenora types out, don't be scared, which does not ease her at all. (laughs) She says, the next line that she says makes it even worse because Lenora types, I can't hurt you. Not I won't hurt you. Not anything like that. But I can't. So It feels, Kit says, insidious. It feels very ominous. It's like, I could. I might. But I can't.
1: Like, I'm paralyzed, but if I wasn't, I would definitely hurt you. (laughs) So she expresses to Lenora that she can relate to her, how she feels like she's been stuck inside for the last 12 years. And that almost, like, startles Kit to the realization that she really hasn't been doing anything with her life for 12 years. And that she is you know, spent so much time in a single place that it just feels very monotonous that, you know, the people and places were different, but the job was always the same. And that it's just kind of a blur that she never went to a disco. She never saw Jaws until it was on TV. She just, you know, went through her day-to-day life and didn't really think about anything outside of that routine that she placed herself in. She asked Lenora, you know, if she feels the same way and that there's a whole life out there that they could have lived, but that they didn't. And Lenora taps the mattress twice, agreeing with her that, yes, she feels like there's a whole other life out there that they could have lived. And so Kit's a little bit nervous because she was touching the hand of, you know, Lenora Hope, who supposedly killed her family with those same hands. So she was really trying to avoid, you know, any more physical touch. But as the caregiver, like she does have to bathe her and has to take care of her in any way necessary.
0: Before we get to this one specific part in this, what I really love is relating it as she's helping Lenora into the bath and she's kind of getting her situated. She relates this to kind of the act of something sacred like truly taking care of someone in their most vulnerable state she likens it to a baptism so saying that them being in this bathroom together kind of puts her almost in like a confessional mood where she feels like she should confess her sins and this is where Kit says you know it turns out we're a lot alike Lenora you know we both like books we haven't been anywhere for years and I know what you're going through And what's their most common denominator,
1: Hannah? You know, Kit finally says, well, that's the biggest thing we have in common, that everyone thinks I also killed my mother. Well? So wait, Kit killed her mother? Was that the patient? Huh? And
0: so, very interesting. Kit was so afraid to be taking on someone like Lenora, but at the end of the day, she feels like she has so much in common with her at the same time. So we do then get to see exactly kind of what happened on the back end with her mom. She would have cared for her mom for free, but her parents insisted on hiring her, so she was officially hired through her agency to take care of her mom. She left the patient she had been caring for and she moved back into her childhood home and started taking care of her mom. She was not prepared for this. It was, she's in agony. She's begging doctors to help them prescribe pain medicine for her mom. He wrote out a prescription. And two weeks later, her mom died of the fentanyl overdose. So to the untrained eye, she said it might feel like an accident. She was rendered mad by the pain and took more pills than was prescribed. Since Kit was the one who left a drug known for its overdose potential within her reach, it could be argued that she was negligent for her mother's care. And so, a day after the funeral, a detective comes in, Richard Vitt. He and his father had been friends, you know, back in the day, but he was interrogating her. Ultimately, there was not enough evidence to say definitively that Kit was the one who killed her mom. And she kind of has this tumultuous, contentious relationship with detective Vic, moving forward because even though he couldn't actually prove her guilty there was just something inside that he felt accusatory toward her no matter what everything kind of fell down like dominoes. she said um why is my brain can only think in taylor swift lyrics it literally as soon as i said dominoes my brain went oh dominoes cascading in a line like i can't think of anything other than taylor swift (laughs) it's just such a problem (laughs) So there was a formal investigation done on Kit. Everyone hates her. Everyone thinks she's responsible, even her father, and he might never speak to her again. And so that's why she's here instead of back at home. And so she collects all of the bottles from Lenora's nightstand after she sets her back up to go to bed, puts them in the lockbox under her own bed. That way, you know, even though Lenora could not possibly reach them on the nightstand, she cannot be too cautious after what happened with her mom. And so... Lenora looks up with looks up at her as Kit's getting her ready for bed, and I don't know if we mentioned this, but Kit has an adjoining room to Lenora, and Lenora has a call button for Kit, and so she'll be right next door. Lenora has apprehension in her eyes, and Kit feels like even Lenora thinks she's guilty, and I guess that makes
1: us even. So we have another letter, and this is about Lenora's birthday dinner and says that her birthday dinner was unbearable. You know, there was so much effort put into it, but the dinner was only attended by her, Miss Baker, her father, and her sister. And by her sister's request, Peter. Just a note too, like this is where we see Miss Baker, so the distinction between Mrs. and Miss. I just chalked it up as a respect thing. Uh, We'll find out why later that there was a, a distinction here. And then we also get a little glimpse into their life, the mother and father's relationship. So years later, after they got married, her father did start stepping out on her mother as well. And once her mother started to kind of wither away a little bit, and she talks about how her and her sister had terms of had different terms of endearment for their parents. So her sister was dear and she was darling. Talks about how her mother kind of had this addiction to this medicine that was prescribed to her. It was supposed to be a cure-all. But really, it kept her in bed all day. And so she goes up to see her mother, and her mother's, you know, laying in bed and just sees her approach and asks her if she had a happy birthday. And says that, you know, we wish we could spend it in Boston. And Lenora replies saying, you know, maybe my next birthday. And her mom says that there is a present um, from her father over, from her and her father over there. And it is the small, it's a snow globe with a miniature Eiffel Tower. As we know from earlier, Lenora still has that snow globe in her room with her. Her mother just tells her that she wants her eventually to go to Paris and fall in love and write all about it. To write down all her thoughts and hopes and dreams and just to go on grand adventures. And just to promise her that she won't remain here. And so she replies, you know, promising her mother that she won't remain in that house. Her mother's began to cry and drank some more of that lovely cure-all medicine.
0: We're brought back to Kit, who is still kind of getting accustomed to what Hope's End is. There's no TVs. She's glad that she brought a lot of books. There's a knock on her door. She's kind of getting ready for bed. And she thinks it's Mrs. Baker coming in to just ruin her night in some other way. And turns out that it's Jessica or Jesse who is the maid of the house, and asks her if she wants the a tour, you know, official tour of the house. Kit's like, well, Mrs. Baker already showed me around, and she said, no, 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 this is actually the unofficial tour. It's the murder tour, and Mary did it for me when I got here. She said it was good to know where everything went down, who died where, and that kind of thing. Kit's like, I actually think I'm okay. I was kind of hoping to just avoid all those places and get the job done. Jesse goes, well... How are you going to avoid them if you don't know where they are? Which, fair point. But Jesse takes her on this tour through the house and she goes in the direction of the grand stairs. You can hear music as they're starting the tour from Mrs. Baker's room upstairs, which thought it was definitely interesting because Mrs. Baker does not strike as the type to really just get down to some music, but you know. More power to her. They head to like a stained glass window, and directly underneath their feet are two red splotches that are darker than the surrounding carpet. And that's when Kit realizes that they quite literally have kept a blood stain in the carpet from when the murders took place. Which can we just say in what? I mean, unless this was a tr- like a house that was doing tours for the paranormal and they were preserving things, you know, for the scene. Why would you ever keep it? In what world? And (laughs) kids, like, well, you could have warned me that I was about to step in a blood pile. But Jessie just kind of, I don't know, she seems kind of like flippant. They describe her, I would say like what an 80s goth would look like would be my guess. She has colored hair, She wears big baggy band shirts. Just, she has big earrings on. It's just the typical, like, she doesn't look like she belongs anywhere near Hope's End, basically. So Evangeline Hope, the mother, died on the grand staircase. So Jesse said, you know, it's assumed she was stabbed in the foyer, tried to escape up the steps, and was stabbed again on the landing where she bled out. No one knows why she didn't just leave. There's a lot of unknowns. They walk into the billiard room. And this is where Winston Hope met his end. Kids, like, well, her first thought was like, yeah, this kind of feels like a room where this kind of man would die. There were firearms on the wall, heads of animals, pool cues, no pool table. Pool table was taken out. Jesse said, well, Winston Hope died over it. So his throat was slit. Guess it was too bloody to salvage. And I'm just like, damn girl, okay. Let's relax on those on those details, girly. Kate goes, well, the rhyme says he was stabbed. And Jesse goes, oh, no, he was once in a side before his throat was slit. Like, I guess it was too complicated to make into the rhyme. (laughs) Like, oh, God. (laughs) We find out that she learned most of this from Mary, the previous nurse that had been there. She was super obsessed with the murders and she thinks that's why she took the job they left the the billiard room and they walk into another room across the hall which happens to be the library so on the mantle of the library they have three vases with matching patterns and they head up to the mantle to get a better look at the vases we're seeing a lot of parts of the house have been sold by mrs baker to try and make money back kit's just like well why didn't she sell these i mean these look expensive more or less And Jesse's like, well, those are probably the last thing that she sell. You know, it might be illegal because I think there might be laws about selling dead people. (laughs) And this is where Kit realizes that they're urns, they're not vases. Inside of those vases
1: are what the the remains of Winston, Evangeline, and Virginia Hope are. You know, Kit's all about those bold questions. So asks Jesse, you know, why do you think she did it? Jesse kind of shrugs it off like, well, maybe she didn't. And Jesse reveals, you know, she has a hunch that it was actually Winston Hope who maybe did the murders. took place on October 29th, Black Tuesday, the day that the stock market crashed. So like a bunch of rich guys lost millions, and that's when the Great Depression started. Jesse says that people were too worried about being poor to really pay attention to Winston Hope and his dead family. People outside of Maine didn't even really know what happened to the Hope family. Jesse says, you know, she thinks that Winston Hope knew that he was about to lose everything rather than live poor, you know, like the rest of us. He just decided to end things off to his wife and then Virginia, then good old-fashioned murder-suicide. But Kit, you know, is like, uh, but what about the stab in his side and why did he let Lenora live? And Jesse kind of questions, like, well, what happened to the knife? You know, Winston's throat was slashed and Evangeline was stabbed multiple times, yet no murder weapon was ever found. And Kit, you know, is like, well, yeah, that that means it has to be Lenora then. You know, she killed them and tossed the knife. And Jesse's like, well, that's what people seem to think. An idea that maybe she lied to cover for somebody else. And Jesse points to Peter's name on the portrait too, which we know Peter is the one that painted the portraits. Apparently that was Mary's wild guess. And she was full of theories. Jesse then takes her into the
0: last stop of the murder tour, which is the ballroom where... Virginia Hope died. There's large mirrors all around the wall, three chandeliers in the ceiling. Jesse's like, oh don't worry about where you're walking. Virginia died up there. She points to the chandelier and there's one that hangs like slightly lower and at an angle than the other two. Yeah, so they're in this they're in this ballroom and Kit asks like I wonder why Virginia was hanged when the other ones were killed with a knife and this is kind of another one of the mysteries that we had jesse goes well you and everyone else i guess we could always ask and Kit's like well lenora can't really answer even when she could she didn't say much and jesse goes i meant virginia what if mary's right and virginia really is haunting this place so jesse runs to grab a ouija board just leaves kit runs to grab it and kit's very like come on are we a little old for this like what's going on they use the ouija board jesse's like Is there something you want to communicate to us? And so the planchette moves and Kit's like, there's no way. Like, Jesse's definitely doing this. And so Jesse's like, please identify yourself. And the planchette slowly slides to the middle of the board and starts writing out Virginia very slowly, V-I-R. All of a sudden, the planchette kind of moves again. And there's this like touch of fear in Jesse, too, to where Kit's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't. This house is creepy enough like we should not be doing this jesse said virginia did your sister murder you and the planchette moves to the other side of the board and says no they wrap up kit gets a little mad at jesse because it's very obvious that jesse's playing a prank on her like trying to scare her she just tries to figure out what happened to mary because now kit's getting settled in and she's like why would someone who Got along with Lenora, really liked this place, seemed to be liked by all of the other service staff that's there. Why would she just disappear in the middle of the night? And why would she leave her things? Because in Kit's room, which was Mary's room, her things are still there. Like her medical bag, her clothes, everything is still in place.
1: Lenora presses her call button and Kit walks into her room. Lenora motion serves the typewriter and she starts typing things out to kit lenora types out i want to tell you everything things i've never told anyone else about that night because i trust you so kit's definitely intrigued also says like you know i'll think about it carries a typewriter back and just returns back to her room kit is just having trouble sleeping she says sleep doesn't come easy she lives in a mansion teetering on the edge of the ocean and then she also hears like footsteps and she realizes where it's coming from it's coming from lenora's room and so she opens the door peeks inside but there's no one there just lenora exactly how she left her
0: kit wakes up the next day she checks on lenora and of course lenora is in the same place that she found her but she does notice that like the floor has sloped a few degrees overnight or at least that's what it feels like the shower is tilted When she wakes up, her mattress is kind of sloped down and the blankets are kind of pushed toward the edge of the bed. You know, checks in on Lenora, ends up going downstairs to the kitchen. And she finds Archie at the stove, who looks like he's been up for hours. And we find out that Tuesday is their grocery delivery day. And so he makes a pot of fresh coffee. She has some questions about Mary, asking how well he knew her. He's saying that he's upset by the way that Mary kind of left. Like the place isn't for everyone, but you don't just leave your patient in the middle of the night. And so Archie said that there was nothing that he saw that was wrong. She kind of gets to know Archie a little bit, saying that he's actually been there for almost 60 years. Him and Mrs. Baker were the only two left from what they call the good old days. He was not there the night of the murders. Mrs. Baker wasn't there. Every other Tuesday, especially during off-season, all of the quote unquote help was given the night off because there just wasn't a lot to do. The horrific incident took place on that Tuesday where all of the help had been dismissed from Hope's End. Kit's like, well you obviously must like it here. Like why wouldn't you still be here? He said, you know, the staff, a lot of them quit kind of immediately after, but they were kids. And him and Miss Hope were quite close growing up and obviously things have changed but she said you know you're welcome to come up and see her like she's obviously lonely and Archie's like well that's why you're here you know you're the one who's supposed to keep her company which I don't know there's just it's so hard to describe as we're just kind of going through the plot but there's so much uncertainty and so much of that kind of like something in your gut doesn't feel right as you're listening to all of these characters talk but you can't pinpoint what it is the way that they cut off the way that they skirt around certain things the way that they're so emphatically against certain things too it's just very interesting she tells mrs baker that all of mary's stuff is there and she's a little confused um you know she said well if mary does come back she's not going to be welcome so mrs baker's like well if she wanted to come back for any of her stuff it's been a week so not sure, but just hold on to everything if you don't mind. And Kit's like, well, I do, in fact, mind. You said there are 36 rooms in this mansion. Why does her stuff have to stay in the single room that I'm using? <laughs> she said, I, I I do actually have another question. Like, were you in Miss Hope's room last night? She said, well, now that you're here, I have no cause to enter her quarters. And she goes, well, that's a no then? She goes, yes, dear, a definite no. You know, I thought I heard someone walking around, and Mrs. Baker said "walking," like so horrified that that was even a question. She's like, "That's ridiculous." And Kit's like, "Girlfriend, I heard the floor, like the floorboards were creaking. That's not the wind. Like that's those were footsteps." And she said, "Well, did you, did you investigate?" Well, duh. Like I opened the door, didn't see anyone. <laughs> She's like, "That definitely your imagination. Don't even worry about it." Definitely all in your mind. She gets literally nothing out of Mrs. Baker and basically is like, you need to get back there before Lenora wakes up. And Lenora still kind of has that urge to tell her everything. Ultimately, Kit decides that she does want to hear what Lenora has to say. Like, she's too intrigued by what's going on. There's too many odd happenings. So she brings Lenora over to the typewriter. And her fingers twitch on top of the keys. And they begin Typing out her story.
1: And so the next chapter starts with the first line of the first letter in the book, actually. So the thing that she remembers most, the thing that she still has nightmares about, is when it was all but over. So they continue to type, spend hours typing. They type about 16 pages, and Kit finally says, You know, we've done enough for today. Ask Lenora if she wants her to stay there until she falls asleep, and Lenora taps twice for yes. So while she falls asleep, she's reading the pages. By the time that she's near the end of, you know, the pages that Lenora has typed today, her surprise has curved into shock. And Kit now knows what happened to the knife used to kill Winston and Evangeline and that Lenora tossed it in the ocean. The act of tossing the murder weapon away and her nightgown covered in blood just made her look more guilty than ever. In these pages, she declares herself both good and evil, that she, you know, had an addict mother, a flandering father and a sister that she had nothing in common with. She just kind of says, like, no wonder Lenora uh, longed for escape and the intention of somebody else. Kit kind of relates to that. Like, you know, even though she's in her 30s, she knows that feeling all too well. You know, she, but Kit still, you know, kind of wondering, like, okay, it doesn't explain the bloody nightgown or get rid of, or why she got rid of the weapon that killed her parents or why she fetched a rope. And Kit fears now that it's the opposite, that Lenora didn't pick her because she thinks that she's innocent she did it because she thinks that she's guilty and that what lenora is typing today isn't to clear her name but it's actually a confession kit takes those pages and she
0: puts them in the lockbox under her bed and she keeps them there like those are not getting out those are her pages and she hears like these cracking scraping noises coming from outside it's dark out but she goes maybe this is what i was hearing last night so she goes downstairs to the terrace she notices that there are shingles from the roof that have fallen some are intact some are shattered but that could definitely have explained some of the noises that she was hearing they have the terrace on the outside that goes down to a railing that overlooks the bluffs but the metal railing is quite short she looks up to the mansion and there's light from another window up top that kind of flicks on and catches her attention and she notices that it's mrs baker on the other side of lenora's room but something else catches her eye because in the room to the right which is lenora's room there's a gray blur in the darkened window so she panicked she knows for sure someone's walking around lenora's room now and so she moves backwards and she trips and almost falls over the railing and out of nowhere Carter comes around the corner and calls up for Mary. And so he apologizes because he thought it was Mary because of the uniform about the same size. And he thought that she was going to topple over the railing. So she's really panicked. And he said, you know what, let's go sit down for a few minutes. And he takes her inside of his cottage, which is the groundskeeper's cottage. So Carter's the only one that does not stay in the main house. And honestly, he likes to keep it that way. He um grabs a glass he puts whiskey in both of them and said what i thought was interesting was he said you know drink up it'll calm your nerves and kit's like well mrs baker probably would not approve of this and he said mrs baker probably has three glasses of chardonnay under her belt and is now working on number four (laughs) girly likes her wine you know and yep don't blame her no literally and so kit's like well she seems so serious like that seems a little out of character for her but you know, Carter's like, of course you didn't know that. You just got here. Just give it some time and you'll know all of our secrets. Kid's asking her standard round of questions of, what do you think happened? How well do you know Mary? Why do you think she left? And she gets to the question about, you know, who do you think was the murderer? Who was the culprit? She goes, oh, was it was it Winston Hope or was it the painter? Was it Peter? And he goes, neither. I think it was Ricardo Mayhew. She's like, who? I'm so, like, "Who? who is this? And apparently it was the groundskeeper at the time, and he and his wife Bernice were living on the grounds. And so she worked as a kitchen maid, and he was one of the groundskeepers. And apparently Bernice, the night of the incident, had gone into town to watch a movie with some of the other servants. And supposedly Ricardo had stayed behind, was on the grounds when it happened. So police couldn't question him because he was just gone. After that night, he was never seen from again. Bernice, she never saw him again. She has no idea where he went. Most say that, you know, Bernice never left the town because she was waiting for her husband to return. And so he thinks, you know, short of Lenora killing him, it's the only thing that makes sense. It's just another one of those, like, okay, well, here's another theory that I can tuck in my back pocket as Kit's trying to make sense of everything that's going on, all the information she's getting. She launches into Lenora's room. Lenora startles awake and Kit is like, I want you to tell me about Ricardo Mayhew. Like, this girl wastes no time. She's like, we're gonna, it's day two, we're getting to the bottom of
1: this. And so Lenora starts typing. So we get another typewriter section here. And Lenora talks about how her and her sister were forbidden from socializing with the staff. But, you know, that's did not stop um, her and Archie from becoming friends. So she was unable to locate Archie, and she found herself on the terrace. She climbed atop the railing, and the railing was low, as we know from previous interactions out on this terrace. Considering following her fears all the way down, before she could really, like, make that decision, she did hear a voice behind her and just said, Careful, if you fall to your death, this place would have nothing worth looking at. And so she whirled around, find this handsome man wearing just, you know, work pants and a cotton undershirt. They kind of go back and forth. And Lenora, as you know, just says, This house is downright awful. I would honestly kill to leave this place. Which just, you know, her wording in these letters just like creates so much suspicion, you know, like saying that she, you know, she wanted a parent dead, that she would kill to leave this place. But this letter ends with the boy that she kind of ran into on the terrace saying, No, we haven't been properly introduced. I'm Ricky. Then we come back to Kit having Lenora type out Ricky and saying that
0: she types the name with such force that the letters scar the page as if they've been applied with a branding iron. And again, just like a testament to the visuals of this book and the writing, the descriptions. So she's like, did you know it was him? Do you know what happened to him? Did he do it? so lenora kind of turns away and she started to type and basically she's like well i can't tell you yet and kids like why not lenora goes because I need to do it in order so you'll understand what happened and how and why and so this is in lenora's hands she can type say whatever she wants in whatever order and she can also type and say really anything i mean kit has no idea what's true and what's not and this was another part of the book that i just adored so much was that you truly had no idea what was true and what wasn't i felt like everyone was borderline unreliable at some point everyone everything it was a true in my opinion like a true whodunit murder mystery like you just had no idea and every time a new person was introduced and i'm like oh yeah yep it's them definitely them <laughs> and then another person would get introduced and i'm like nope it's actually them it is them now
1: <laughs> after that kit wakes up and has a nightmare and so she's awake in the middle of the night and notices a shadow going like through their conjoining room doors and is like what I... there's no way like that somebody's in this room right so the next day when she's talking with lenora and lenora's typing Lenora types out, oh, you didn't sleep well. You know, Kit's like, nope, I didn't. Lenora says, and so Lenora types out, you know, the wind was making strange noises. Kit's like, wait, how do you know that I was hearing noises? So Kit kind of confronts her, like, I know somebody was in here last night. Like, tell me who it was or no more typing and certainly no more telling your story. So Lenora starts typing again and she types out, you know, someone's been here many nights. Kit's like, wait, what? Like, who is it? Who's been in your room? And so Lenora a little bit hesitant. And when she's done, Kit rips the paper from the typewriter and it just has a single name, Virginia. It's so like her sister's ghost. I was like, wait, is this turning into a paranormal book? Like, I didn't do much research on this. No, book. I definitely <laughs> thought it was leading. So and I it's going like, to be paranormal, right? Yeah, I was like, oh, OK, this is cool. Like, I didn't expect to be like paranormal in this spooky series but i like it like let's go with it Uh, i'm here for it but okay guys thanks for sticking with us but we have a lot to go through now so she
0: ends up going outside and she heads out onto the terrace it's bright it's a little brisk but it's perfect for getting outside clearing her mind and it's obvious all she has to do is do her job No more typing, no more story, just be the caregiver that she was sent here to be for Lenora. She decided that she just needs to figure out what's been causing the sounds, which is obviously a perfectly logical explanation, and move on from there. So she kind of turns around and faces the mansion, and she makes sure she's not losing her balance. She's leaning against this railing, the low railing again that kind of goes over the bluffs nothing appears to be out of sight so or out of place so she's just kind of hanging out she looks over and leans forward toward over the railing and realizes that it's not really just rocks that are rising out of the wet sand the that she's seeing something else she sees a hand and a foot and a head underneath the sand is the corpse that they're attached to and even before she begins to scream, she says she knows with 100% certainty that she's looking at Mary Milton at the bottom of the cliff.
1: So after they discover Mary's body, none other than Detective Vic comes to question Kit about it. You know, Kit's just getting frustrated because she can tell that, like, you know, the Detective Vic is not really listening to her and doesn't believe her in anything. Um and so Kit suggests that maybe they just go ask Lenora that, like, Lenora can type her answers. And Detective Vic's like, oh, okay, like a little hesitant, but, you know, he's a detective. He wants to get to the bottom of the story. So she leads Detective Vic up to Lenora's room, tells Lenora, like, let's type your answers. And Detective Vic's like, yeah, do you know how to type? And Lenora taps once for no and you know, kind of makes a fool out of Kit. Like, Kit's, you know, telling Detective Vic, like, Lenora can type, like, she can type her answers. And Lenora just doesn't, she refuses to. After Detective Vic leaves, Kit's so frustrated, she's just like, you know, what the fuck is that about? Lenora types out, I'm sorry, it must be a secret. And so Kit asks her, like, did Mary tell you that she was leaving? And how did she act before she left? And Lenora types out, like, weird nervous, like, basically weird and nervous together, that she was scared of um, her sister. We think, okay, so she was scared of Virginia. Is this the ghost? Like, where is this going? We get another letter from Lenora
0: detailing how her sister could tell that she was in love. It was the first moment that she saw Ricky. She knew that she loved him. And so he just was like, you're so different from the rest of your family. Like, you don't care as much about the money and the the titles. You just are basically in 1920s terms, like a down-to-earth person it kind of goes through how like they kissed and then within a week i was like damn they move fast they were already sleeping together in a week and i'm like this girl is they're young i i mean i don't know what else there was to do at hopes in 1929 obviously not much and so <laughs> her sister was like i basically like i'm never gonna leave this place you know and lenora's just fighting with her like there's a whole world out there like i'm in love and i want to go see the world and i want to experience all of these things and her sister's like there's a whole world here basically like i want to stay here she said you know you should just tell me who he is you know i'm gonna find out just just tell me kind of doing this sisterly thing this part i did mark because i'm just gonna read it it said in the end she was right she eventually did find out and disaster soon followed At least she also got her wish. All these years later, she's still here roaming the halls, and she's never going to leave. As long as hope's end still stands, my sister will remain. And I was like,
1: bitch, is this place haunted? It has to be. Right? This shit is haunted. A hundred percent. Right? It's spooky season, guys. Like, you know, surprise. We went paranormal. (laughs) So then Kit goes to talk with Jesse. So Jesse is obviously upset now that we found out that Mary, you know, has died. And so Kit starts to question um, Jesse about like Mary's behavior and if Mary was scared of anything. And Jesse's like, no, we used to joke about the ghost of Virginia. You know, Mary like was obsessed with the murders and that's why she was here and wanted to know more information. Kit asks Jesse if Mary ever mentioned somebody named Ricardo Mayhew. And Jesse is confused, like, who? Jesse has never heard of the guy, and if Mary knew, like, who he was, she never told her. And so Kit finds this Polaroid of Mary and Lenora over the typewriter together. Now, like, it's kind of the pieces are falling into place with Kit. Like, the reason why, like, Mary was probably spooked about the place and she knew so much about Hope's End is because Lenora told her. So we have a short little typewriter page after this And it's just, you know, Lenora saying that she promised to tell her everything. So that's what I'm giving her. The deepest, darkest secrets, things I never told anyone before. Only you, Mary. Only you. So now we know that these pages are what Lenora was typing with Mary prior to Mary's death and prior to Kit being there.
0: Lenora confirms that she was telling Mary her story and lenora doesn't think that mary jumped she thinks that due to the information that she had mary was murdered mary hid the papers and so she hid the entire story in the room and basically the truth of this might have gotten mary killed after leaving lenora kit goes to her room and searches up down left right under things over things and she realizes that in place of the closet that she hadn't noticed before was one spot that was roughly the size of a suitcase, and that was the only thing that was missing out of the entire room that Mary had been left in. She calls to de- Detective Vic and was like, it's Kit, hi, and he's pissed because he's like, do you know what time it is? And she's like, Mary Milton didn't jump. And he's like, well, what do you think happened to her? And Kit said sh- she was pushed. And with the knowledge from Lenora, she called him and was like, yeah, she's definitely, she was pushed off the edge. And Detective Vic, again, he just does not believe anything that she's saying. And so there was a suitcase, it was gone. She's trying to explain all of this and really just trying to like get him to see that something is wrong here. And he just doesn't. She's like, well, if she intended to kill herself, why'd she take a suitcase? And he's like, I have no idea. But Lenora told her these things. And Detective Vick's like, let me guess. Did she type it for her? Because she clearly can't type. She tried to do it earlier. He's like, well, I'm not saying that you're lying. I, I do think that you believe this is what happened. I don't think you understand. Her findings show that her injuries are consistent with a fall. But she also had a suicide note that said, I'm sorry, I'm not the person who thought I was, that was folded neatly in the pocket of her uniform. So Carter comes in after he hears kid on the phone. You know, he said that he heard most of it and he understands why he's nervous, but he said that he knows what Mary was doing and he was trying to help her. He thinks that it's his fault that she died. She's like, you have one minute to tell me. Basically, like, I can't show you, I'm just gonna, you're gonna have to trust me for five minutes. Carter takes her outside, to the cottage, and they get a drink, they sit down, and they say that he needs to admit something about why he took a job here. His name was Anthony. Everyone called him Tony, and he worked there for decades. He was poking around the rooms in the garage, and some of the servants used to live there. Basically, Hope's end was overrun with servants. There was a mechanic whose sole job was to just look after Winston Hope's collection of Packards. He had five of them, and after the murders, the rooms above the garage were used for storage. So boxes of stuff from the 20s and even earlier. And so Tony decided to get up on the box. And and in the box, Tony found something. And it's an envelope. And it says September 1929. And it's a picture of Lenora in her youth. She could immediately spot her. It's the same thing, the wallpaper, the same room, recreated. The one that Lenora wears in the picture is flowing instead of satin and she kind of goes numb with shock but the picture doesn't actually lie because a month before her family was murdered lenora hope had been pregnant because she saw her hands resting over her rounded stomach and she cannot believe her eyes
1: crazy what a wild um And so the next typewriter letter from Lenora um, starts out by saying just, it was an accident, Mary, or foolishness or a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. Um, So it kind of goes into how Lenora had fallen in love with Ricky, that those five months were just the happiest that she's ever been. And just for the first time in her life, she hadn't felt alone. It also um, replays a conversation that Lenora had with Ricky and Ricky just saying, you know, I wish things were different. We didn't have to sneak around and he wishes he was a better man. And this next sentence, you know, she says, don't think for a second that this is simply a tale of a young girl used and discarded by a callous man. There's more to it than that. Nearly everyone at Hope's End played a role in what happened and mostly paid dearly for it, including me, especially me. Goes back to Kit and Carter. So Carter reveals the reason why he actually started working there because um, he needed to know if he was Lenora Hope's grandson. And Kit was kind of confused, like, okay, like, what are you talking about? And so Carter reveals on Christmas morning in 1929, a baby was left at the front door of the church in town, and the baby was barely alive, and so the priest took it in. So Carter and Kit are convinced that this baby is probably Lenora's, right? Like, the timeline 1929, like, when it was, and... um so Carter says that he's trying to figure out, you know, what his lineage is. Doesn't elaborate much, but Kit is like, so you think Ricardo he is the father? And um, Carter's like, yeah, that's what Mary thought. So they talked about how that Ricardo probably spared Lenora because she was pregnant. You know, that's why she was able to survive, you know, the massacre of the family there. And that's why Lenora's been like covering for Ricardo is their theory at the time, right? Carter reveals that he got Mary to agree to help draw some of her blood to take a blood test to see if they were actually related. And so Carter feels very guilty. He feels responsible because she agreed to help him. You know, it's just feeling guilty all over. It's like, well, I also left the gate open that night. You know, and just so he is kind of revealing, like, all these things that he thought could have been that domino effect lead to Mary's death. He says he didn't tell everything to Detective Vic, though, because he didn't want to sound crazy. Kit and him are kind of at a loss of, like, what to do. They're interrupted by, like, a sound and, you know, think, oh, it was an earthquake. And then they go outside and they see that the house is fallen off some more. This poor house.
0: Yep. I know. And, like, the cracks are, like, very visible inside now. Like, there were a couple little cracks inside, but it's, like, it's bad now. The next day, Kit's like, fuck Lenora's exercises. We're typing. Like, that's it. And so she ends up asking Lenora about the baby. And Lenora just says, gone, on the typewriter, and then basically refuses to answer anything else. So... Kids wondering, what does gone mean? Does gone mean a miscarriage, a stillborn, left the world? Was it bundled up and left on the stairs of a church? Like, what happened? Lenora will not answer her. Archie carries in a dinner tray and said, you know, I thought Ms. Hope could use a pick-me-up and made her a chocolate milkshake and things like that. She loved them when she was younger. Archie was there when Lenora's family was murdered. He was also here when Mary fell off the cliff. So that makes him like, in Kit's mind, the perfect source for information. She starts talking to Archie about it. She said, what about Virginia? Like, were you too close? And nope, can't say we were, just very swift, very brisk. Lenora's listening to the Walkman as she's talking to Archie to make sure that she can't hear anything. What do you know? Did Lenora have a baby? And Archie's like, where did you get that idea? He's like, you must've misunderstood. And she goes, so Lenora was never pregnant? He said, never. She asks about Ricardo Mayhew and Archie says, no. He said, I know he used to work here, but Miss Hope never mentioned him and that's your answer. So he kind of starts to walk away. And he said, if I were you, I wouldn't spend too much time typing with Miss Hope. The past is in the past and it does no one any good to start digging it up.
1: The next typewritten letter, we find out that Archie didn't know about a baby. Archie was there um, and was close to Lenora. Archie takes the picture that now is in Carter's possession of Lenora while she's pregnant. And Archie ends the conversation by telling her, you know, if he, like talking about Ricky or anyone ever hurts you or makes you unhappy, I won't hesitate to kill them. I was like, all right, add Archie. Like we already were suspicious of him, but you know. Yeah, he went to the top of my list. (laughs) Yeah. like, okay. Yep. Kit makes her way back to Lenora after kind of checking in on everything and sees that the Walkman has been turned off. When Kit left her with the Walkman, like it was lodged in her wheelchair. And so she would have had to use a hand that she can't use to turn off this Walkman. And Kit's like, you know, how did it stop? And Lenora just kind of gives her a blank stare. That's when Kit's like, Lenora definitely turned this off. She turned this off with a hand that she supposedly cannot use.
0: Yep. And she spent so much time smacking it, hitting it, trying to turn it and off, and she had she had to use her left hand. That's the only explanation. But as she's still fidgeting with it, she hears like a heavy thud from outside and she's like, "Oh shit, like Lenora's moving around again or who's in her room?" So she hurries through. It's silent. She says, it's silent as a tomb. So outside there's waves. But she hears another noise and there's footsteps. Mrs. Baker is passing by. She has a shotgun in her hands. And she said that there are people outside. There's reporters. They've been loitering at the gate. It's either them or some of the boys from town who have hopped the wall. Another, just trying to get a look at Lenora Hope, who hung her sister with a rope. They step outside and Mrs. Baker shouts that, you know, leave or you'll know it's good for you. And they're like, it's Lenora, it's the killer. It's the killer, bitch. Like, you know, it's a bunch of teenage boys just being stupid, basically. Kit takes them upon herself to run past Mrs. Baker and grab one of the guys that's running away. His feet slide from under him. He drops to the ground when Kit grabs this guy. And she realizes that it's fucking Kenny. kenny the young neighbor that she had had having like a friends with benefits relationship with and so he's like well what are you doing here and she's like what are you doing here and he's like oh we were just having a little fun and she goes well kenny aren't you a little old for this and they're kind of doing like a back and forth and they're saying that lenora hope killed mary because you know now that mary's death has made the news They're like, oop, killer bitch is back at it. Kit's like, well, listen, there's a reason Lenora hasn't been seen in decades. Like, she can't walk or even talk. She's harmless. And Kenny's like, how do you know? And Kit said, because I'm her caregiver and I've spent more time with her than you. Kenny goes back, goes away. But now her gut tells me that she was wrong about thinking that there are only four people at Hope's End that could have shoved Mary off the terrace. And there's a fifth, highly unlikely suspect, but now a suspect all the same. And that is... Lenora Hope herself. After the Walkman and after Kenny kind of planted that seed of doubt, Kit was like, Lenora. Lenora definitely did this.
1: Yep. And so the next chapter, like, you know, has that doubt still, like, playing in her mind. Like, she peeks into Lenora's room and sees that she's still sleeping or she's like, or is she pretending to be? I bet she's capable much more, like, talking and walking and shoving and the only way that kit thinks that like she can find out is to catch her in the act so she has a good book and some bad coffee and she is ready to stay up to catch what she suspects is lenora faking her paralysis now so she stays awake long enough to basically hallucinate and like dream half a half awake um, kit wakes up and sees that the door is now closed when she kept open to try to catch lenora in the act and so she jumps out of bed, flings the door open, and runs into the adjoining room. And Lenora is awake in bed, the call button smashed under her left hand, and her mouth is open, and just her eyes are saucer-wise. She stares at something on the other end of the room, so the typewriter. And a fresh page sits in the typewriter filled with a single sentence typed over and over and over, of just saying, it's all your fault. So Kit rips the page and looks at Lenora and then says, let me guess, your sister... And Lenora taps twice to say yes. Kit
0: is over this. She calls a house meeting and is like, I know it was someone in this house. I know one of you did this, so just tell me who. Mrs. Baker said, well, who did Miss Hope say it is? She goes, her sister. And Mrs. Baker's eyes got really big, Archie coughs, and they're just kind of laughing at her. Mrs. Baker's like, I think that you were basically persuading her and giving her these suggestions to say that it was her sister. And the culprit is actually you. You want this attention. You're the one who demanded that we all come in here and have this meeting. Kit's pissed. She's like, I don't need anyone's attention. And Mrs. Baker's like, then why are we all in here? Like, why go to this trouble? Kit said, I just want, I wanted to stop and stop sneaking into Miss Hope's room at night. And Mrs. Baker's like, someone's been doing that she goes why didn't you tell me and kids like i did tell you i told you the morning after my first night and you said it was all in my head and now she's like well just tell me immediately if it ever happens again oh and then she questions jesse if mary had ever said if she thought lenora would recover it's definitely not and jesse questions her and is like you think lenora's faking this like why would she do that so jesse said she's worried about her she's starting to act like mary was Kit is convinced though she looks at the paper the one that said it's all your fault and it's kind of morphing into a projection of her own insecurities of it's all your fault it's all kit's fault what they're saying is not true kit kat so she pops it to lenora in the bed drops it under her hand and she's hoping that the reflexes will take over and catch something that she's doing without thinking about it. She does this again and again with books, with paper. And then she realizes it needs to be something expendable, something that Lenora actually cares about. And so she grabs her snow globe on of Paris, drops it in her hand. And she's convinced that if Lenora was faking it, she would never in a million years let it fall from her grip. She holds it steady. She drops it. She convinces herself she's not doing anything wrong. But both of them kind of stare at the snow globe, which falls, rolls off the bed, shatters on the ground. There's irreparable damage done to it. It cannot be fixed. All for the sake of Kit convincing herself that Lenora is faking her paralysis.
1: Kit did a good job of convincing me that lenora was faking i was like this bitch is gonna is gonna catch the snow globe like there's no way lenora is gonna let this like she was Mm -hmm. gonna just like a little no
0: yeah and then we find out that lenora is giving kit the silent treatment after the snow globe incident (laughs) she's begging her doing anything like let me read you a book do you want to listen to jesse's recordings what do you want to do she asks how she can make it up to her and lenora types seven letters and she says outside kids." like you want to go outside and lenora <laughs> she's like that's against the rules and lenora says so <laughs> like so what's against the rules Kids, like are you sure it's a good idea and lenora's like duh yes it's my idea it's great She says Mrs. Baker can't know. Basically, Kit's like, I need information, but this is crossing a line. Like, she could get her. I could get her. Mrs. Baker will not be happy. So she said, it's too risky. But then Lenora says, I'll tell you what happened to the baby. That kind of gets Kit. And so she barters with her and says, well, you'll just have to tell me the rest of the story. And so they kind of agree. And Mrs. Baker walks in as they're coming to this agreement. And Mrs. Baker said that there is a, a guest waiting for Kit. Mrs. Baker said that she has a visitor. It's a man, didn't say who. She wants. She runs out to go meet him. And Mrs. Baker's like, just tell, tell your guest to call it a decent hour next time. Or not at all. And so she runs downstairs. And she realizes that it's her dad on the other side of the gate. She thought it might be Detective Vic. She thought it might be Kenny. But it was her dad. He's like, you didn't think I'd find out you were taking care of Lenora Hope? And she knew he would eventually, but she's kind of mad. And she's like, why would you care? And basically, he's like, every person who knows you're working for this woman will think that what the police have said is true. And soon everyone will think that you're guilty. And she said, what do you think then, Dad? He said what happened to her was an accident. Her dad said that he's worried about her. He knows she thinks Mary was murdered. He basically is like, you need to come home she said dad go home and he says wait but she doesn't she continues up the driveway leaves her dad behind she can't really shake the feeling that her future rests inside of hope's end decades apart linked to one person she goes straight for lenora's room and says do we have a deal Taps twice and lenora's going outside and the price for taking her outside is going to be the truth. Finally, an opportunity presents itself to take Lenora outside only two days later. And everyone at Hope's End is leaving to go to the funeral of Mary Milton. So Kit hauls up Lenora, pops her in a wheelchair. Basically, it's calm and they're excited. But Kit doesn't care. She said basically in a hurricane, she would still drag her ass downstairs to try and get this information out of her. She gets her down the stairs in the wheelchair she can't carry her because she's afraid she's going to get winded and drop her but she basically backs her down the stairs like I don't know Tokyo drifts her down like the grand staircase over the murder scene and (laughs) just really wheels her all the way down and so she gets outside Lenora is like so over the moon overjoyed it had been decades since Lenora had gotten to lay down and look at the clouds. She guides the wheelchair down. She scoops Lenora up and lays her on the grass. There's actually, like, a cliff edge that's, like, unstable now from the last earthquake. So they have to be extra careful so she makes sure that they're, like, on a stable part of the ground. Imagine. Oh my god. And (laughs) And she goes, it's time to start talking about the baby. Lenora kind of stops breathing, and she freaks out a little, but She asks, you know, was the baby born? And Lenora taps twice for yes. Was it a girl? One tap, so it was a boy. What happened to him? Did he die? One tap for no. Did you give him away? One tap for no. And so she asks again, was he taken away? And she taps the ground once and then twice. And so we find out that Lenora's baby boy was taken from her. Kit asks what happened, if she knows what happened, and Lenora gives a single tap and so we realize that yes she was indeed pregnant but her baby was taken from her she asks Lenora if Mary drew blood from her arm before she before she died and Lenora said yes Mary knew about the baby she had told her Kit realizes that the bruise that was on Lenora's arm was very likely blood that Mary was getting To do a DNA sampling to find out if Carter was related to Lenora and was her grandson. Kit kind of takes it all in and she's like, you need to uphold your end of the bargain. And Lenora is like, no. And Kit said, she sure does. So Kit sprints up the stairs to go get the typewriter and literally leaves Lenora on the grounds by herself. Which by a cliff.
1: Like, my thought is, like, girl, you left this girl, this lady, just Mm -hmm. to fend for herself by this cliff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she carries down the typewriter, and as she gets down the stairs, she realizes that Lenora's there, but not where she left her. She's on the terrace, in her wheelchair. And immediately, Kit's like, this fucking bitch. How... She is faking. Then she sees them, Mrs. Baker, Archie, Carter, and Jesse. They're standing off in the terrace. Their expressions are concerned and surprised and pissed. And she lowers the typewriter. The blank pages just kind of catch in the breeze. She watches them kind of swirl away over the railing, off the cliff, and into the water below.
1: Then we get another typewritten letter. She hasn't seen a doctor of her own, you know, given her pregnancy, she probably should. So she, you know, thinks about, like, who she can trust with the secret. Because she's not ready to be a part of, like, the scandal, right, for her family right now. She doesn't want to tell her mother. She definitely can't trust her sister. So she thinks about who can keep a secret in the house. And her first thought is her father's mistress. So she carefully waits outside on when she knows her father and his mistress are canoodling in... Um, one of the rooms in the house. So she sneaks to the side and sees her father walk by. And then she goes to confront the mistress. And she's frozen in shock. And she can only stand in the hallway and just stare at her. And the mistress stared back. And so she was like, You? And the mistress replied, Yes. Miss Baker replied with a weary huff, Me. So we find out that Miss Baker was one of the servants having an affair with their father. Scandalous. For the next chapter, the typewriter's gone. Miss Baker removed it from Kit's arms and just literally she hoisted it over the railing and just let it drop. And Mrs. Baker just didn't acknowledge Kit and only said, take Miss Hope back to where she belongs. And Carter helps her take Lenora back upstairs. And they converse thinking about, like, okay. you know, what's going to happen. And Kit immediately thinks that she's going to get fired. And Carter is like, well, it's all my fault because I told you about, you know, the baby and all this stuff. And, you know, Kit says, well, like, tells some the information she was able to get out of Lenora before the typewriter disappeared. And saying, you know, Lenora had the baby, but she doesn't know um, what happened because the baby was taken from her. So Carter starts saying, you know, like, maybe it is a possibility. Like, maybe I am related to this family. Kids saying, you know, now we need to be careful because whoever killed Mary is still here. And she's convinced that it's probably Mm -hmm. Mrs. Baker. She goes to her room, opens her lockbox, and to look at the pages that they've already typed. And she sees that they're missing. And she instantly, you know, thinks, all right, yep, it's Mrs. Baker. So she goes to confront her, finds Mrs. Baker... Um, Already with a wine glass, Kit confronts her and says, "Where are they?" And Miss Baker just, you know, nonchalantly, "Well, you need to be more specific than that, dear." And so Kit says, "You know, the pages." Baker says, "No, I had them," and gestures to the fireplace. And so, you know, Kit assumes she's going to be fired. Mrs. Baker acknowledges that. Mrs. Baker tells her, "Well, you can leave if you want. Like nobody's forcing you to be here." She wants to know whose idea it was to take Miss Hope outside. Kit tells her it was hers. It was Lenora's. And so Mrs. Baker's like, I thought so. Honestly, it doesn't surprise me. Ms. Hope can be very persuasive. And it makes sense that she'd convince you to to disobey my clear wishes. And Mrs. Baker reveals that she knows that, like, the last patient that Kit had was her mother. So Ms. Baker says, you know, the world is not a kind place for women accused of violence. You of all people should understand that. Kit is, like, too stunned to stand that she kind of just falls to the floor. And just in shock that she like, that Mrs. Baker knows about it. So she asks, you know, how long long has she known? And Mrs. Baker has known the whole time because Mr. Gurlain obviously disclosed the information that she thought her and Miss Hope, that Kit and Miss Hope would be a good fit because they understand each other. Now, you know, she sees that Kit even likes her. And then we get another letter. Miss Baker sitting down, having a quote
0: unquote, nice chat as if nothing had changed miss baker basically asks what do we do now and she said well you can start by telling me why why is it my father that you're having an affair with do you love him and basically she's like no no this is transactional like i give him what he wants he gives me a little extra she does call miss baker a quote high class whore um i was like oh shit (laughs) She can kind of use this to her advantage to have someone to help her with this pregnancy. So she shows Miss Baker the fabric around her stomach and asks, How far along are you? Six months. Who's the father? He's not going to tell you. Now she goes, Well, did he force himself on me? Or are you okay, more or less? And she's like, Well, he's going to make an honest woman out of me. And Miss Baker just cackles in her face and is like, You're basically a child. That's not going to happen. So she listed all the ways in which she needed assistance with the child, from getting maternity clothes, having the proper amount of food, the treatment that she's needs to receive from doctors. And Miss Baker's like, that's a tall order. What, what makes you think I'm going to be willing to help you? And she's like, well, if you don't, I'll tell my mother everything. Miss Baker's like, your mom already knows. Like, sorry. And so she goes, okay, then I'll tell Bernice Mayhew. And Bernice is the type of servant that will tell everyone everything and stir up that gossip, pop it around town. And so she said, I'll help you. They parted ways. She kind of had this sense of optimism. There was a lot of caution. But there is one thing that this letter ended with. And she said, you know, luck failed to be on her side no matter how cautious she was. And when she shook hands with Miss Baker, she was in fact making a deal with the devil. After reading that, I was like, well, dun dun dun. Yep, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's gotta be the yep. one. Mrs. Baker and we still had
1: over a hundred pages to go. So uh Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Kit has this great idea to um, sneak into Mrs. Baker's room and to snoop around. She rifles through drawer after drawer um, and then comes across these electric bills that are paid and all these checks that have been cleared to a place called Ocean View Retirement Home. $1,000 a month going back at least a dozen years. Kid's kind of confused as to why there's money going to a retirement home. She knows of Ocean View because she applied there and was told that she was overqualified for the job. She was just confused, though, because why is Mrs. Baker paying for a retirement home when Lenora is comfortably at home? And while she is looking at the cleared check, she hears footsteps coming down the hall, coming right to the door. So she tries to figure out where she can hide, and hides in the armoire. Mrs. Baker comes into the room, plays some music, definitely a few glasses deep in the wine, and just looks around the room and notices something a little off with the armoire heading right towards it when all of a sudden something happens. There's noise and, you know, this, the house starts to shake. And so Mrs. Baker runs outside to see what is going on. Kit's being thrown around in this armoire. Once Miss Baker clears the room, she's like, I gotta go check on Lenora. So she runs to Lenora's room. She notices that it's not just the two of them in the room, that Archie's there too. Kit's kind of confused, like, She's like, I know what happened. You know, Hope's end just got closer to tumbling in the ocean. But she's confused as to why Archie is in Lenora's room. So she boldly asks him. And Archie just replies they was saying goodnight. And says that he says goodnight every night since Miss Hope took ill. And he stops by and sees how she's doing. And Kid's like, um, okay, like what the heck? Like you told me that you weren't as close as you used to be, or that you were no longer close. And he corrected her and said, I said it wasn't like it was, that they're both there to watch over her. So she's like, hmm, maybe it's him that I've been hearing in the middle of the night. So she asks him, you know, when do you go visit Lenora? Is it in the middle of the night? And he's like, nope, I couldn't afford that. Like, I get up too early in the morning. Like, I can't go in the middle of the night. He, like, questions him, like, told all of you that Lenora said her sister, her dead sister, was in her room typing. You you didn't seem surprised. Why was that? And Archie just said, you know, it was outlandish. Archie just replied and said, there's a lot you don't know about this place. So Kit's like, Virginia is haunting Hope's End, huh? Virginia's ghost. He doesn't look at Kit when he replies, but he says haunting's not the right word. But yes, her presence can be felt here. At Hope's End, the the past is always present. And so they head outside and that's when they see it. That one step over the line, this fault line that appeared, um, could send literally the cliff, the terrace, and perhaps all of Hope's End tumbling down into the sea.
0: They basically can't assess any of the damage until the morning, and so it appears even worse in the In the daylight. There's fissures in the building. There's broken marble tiles. Basically, they're like, well, what? Are we, how are we going to fix this? And Mrs. Baker's like, I'm going to go call someone. I'm going to figure this out. And Carter's like, this girl's, she's delusional. There's no way we can fix this. Kit asks Archie, do you think there's a way to convince her to abandon this place? And he said, leave Hope's End. She'll never do it. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when this place is going to come crumbling down. She's talking to Carter, and she asks if he knows if anyone's staying at Ocean View, the nursing home in town. And she said that there's been a charitable donation, $1,000 a month every month going back years he kind of stiffens up and he said i think i know who it might be i remember tony mentioning it and he says that he believes it's bernice mayhew ricardo mayhew's wife he goes i have a feeling lenora might know and so typewriter's gone she needs to get this answer out of lenora and she's like you know the only thing that i can think of is to like write out the alphabet and have her point to the letters which really isn't a terrible idea and she goes, but wait, that's already been done for me. So she goes inside, Goot runs up to Jesse's room, sees that Jesse has packed all of her shit and is getting ready to dip. She's like, I don't care. I'm going anywhere but here. The place is falling apart. I don't want to be here when it crumbles to the ground. She goes, Can't really argue, but I can't abandon Lenora. She did, however, ask Jesse to borrow her Ouija board to take it to Lenora to use as their chat method. Jesse gives her one final cassette and says, I read the end of this book for Lenora and I really hope she likes it. Kit takes the tape, takes the Ouija board, goes into Lenora's room and sets it up. And she said, great, are you ready to answer a question? She places her left hand on the planchette and she can move it around because it's easy to slide, kind of like she can individually type some letters on the keyboard she asks how well did you know bernice mayhew and lenora slides the plant chat and she spells out the word little she asks what she was like and she spells out a word it said nasty she asks why is mrs speaker giving her money every month do you know why she was doing that or did you know she was doing that and she said yes how long has this been going on and the year spells she goes down to the numbers on the ouija board and goes 1929 Kit said she was never good at math, same girl. She takes her minute to add it all up, but the figure com- that she comes up with is like $600,000. Kit's like, why? Why are you giving her this much money? And Lenora spells out letters because she knows. Knows what? About that night. What about that night? She was here. And we find out that Bernice Mayhew was at Hope's End that night,
1: not just before and after the murders, but during them. Oh, Bernice. Uh, so the next type, typewriter letter that we get talks about how Lenora was at the point where she could not hide her pregnancy any longer. So she took a card out of her mother's book and decided to stay in bed. And basically told the doctors the same thing her mother said. And so he, she was also prescribed that cure-all lovely liquid, which she did not drink. She poured it down the drain, but um, it gave her a great excuse to just, you know, stay in bed. And here she talks about how, you know, she's normally a restless girl, right? We talked about earlier how they used to play this game. Their father used to make them play the game where they would stay in their rooms and she would always lose. But this kind of forced her to learn how to spend more time in her bed. She shockingly had no trouble Spending time in her bed and um, learned very quickly how to lay very still, sometimes for hours while her mind roamed the world, going wherever she wanted, wherever I wanted. And this is the moment that I was like, she is faking it. She has to be faking it. it. Like, it's right. But I was like, Um, but why did she let, you know, but but I was like, why would she let let that
0: fall? Like, I still had doubt.
1: It made me like, I was like, I'm just like, no, she has to. (laughs) Like, so she was content laying in bed, you know, feeling her stomach, realizing that her the child was growing inside of her. But she was still, like, doubtful because, like, Ricky never came to visit her and she felt like he didn't ask about her. So she begged Miss Baker to get in touch with him and tell him, like, to meet her at midnight out on the terrace. So she was certain everybody went to bed, so she went, snuck downstairs to go meet Ricky. But on her way to meet Ricky, she was intercepted by none other than bernice and bernice just kind of glared at her like everything repulsed her. bernice about lenora and once she saw that she was pregnant and bernice just blurred out like you honestly don't think i know what's going on my husband's sneaking out at odd hours hardly paying any attention to me looking like he'd rather die than touch me i've known for months it's not the first time this has happened you know lenora just replies and is like well what do you intend to do about it and Bernice is like, I intend to get rich, which we know, you know, I mean, $600,000, a $1,000 extra a month on top of whatever you're doing.
0: Well, and also think about, like, how much that was actually worth. Yeah. During the, from 1929 to 1980 something.
1: So she goes out to the terrace to see uh, Ricky and... She's like worried Bernice has followed her. So they like go into the garage and Lenora just bursts out like she knows, like Bernice knows and she wants money or she's gonna tell my father. But telling my father is the only way to get the money. Ricky says like, how much does she want? And uh, she says $50,000. You know, Lenora just asks like, what are we gonna do? And Ricky had the only answer is to run away. Kit,
0: I mean, she just goes to Ocean V Retirement Home. Like she said, Bye, I'm going to go do this. So she told Archie she would be gone for about 30 minutes. It's a 15 minute drive there, 15 minute drive back. And she assumed she would have about five minutes to get done whatever she needed to get done. And so she walks into this place and says, I'm here to see Bernice Mayhew. And completely lies through her teeth that she is from an insurance company, was just told to take her vitals. You can call the company to check, but you're going to be on hold for an hour. It's going to take me five minutes. Just let me in, let me out and go. And she goes in, talks to Bernice. And so when she walks in, all bets are off. She immediately just says, I work for Lenora Hope. You know, are you her nurse? She says, yes. And she asks how Lenora's doing. And Kit goes, fine, all things considered. And Bernice said, oh, that's a damn shame. (laughs) They kind of go back and forth. And Bernice is obviously very contentious toward Lenora. And everything that she said, you know, I would be happier if she was suffering, things like that. So, or kit finally asks, like, that's an interesting thing to say about the woman whose generosity keeps you here. And Bernice is like, is that what you think it is, generosity? She's like, well, the only other thing I can say is hush money. And my best guess is so you won't tell anyone that Lenora Hope was having an affair with your husband. Bernice is like, well, shit, I mean, you're bold, I'll give you that, but she's like, so what do you want to tell me about first, Bernice? And she's like, I have stayed silent since 1929. What makes you think I am going to start talking to you of all people? You know, she brings up the fact that Mary died. She just wants some answers. And Bernice basically said she was so pissed at Lenora because she's like, you could have all of these young men that are gallivanting around your house and you pick my Ricardo, which of course, none of them are as handsome as my Ricardo. All she needed to do was bat those big blue eyes at him, and he was gone. She goes, did you confront him about it? She's like, well, do I? Of course I did. And, you know, he denied it. He was a smooth talker. Could talk her way out of anything. She goes, well, I had a plan. Talks through the hush money, how, you know, her husband was carrying on with what the servants and the help used to call the high and mighty hopes. And she deserves something for her pain and suffering. So she set up an ultimatum. Pay up or she tell everyone. And so she tells her how all the staff was given the night off, but she asked if Ricardo wanted to come along and he said no. So she didn't actually leave Hope's End. She stood there, waited outside, and she was hoping to see Ricardo kind of sneak off to meet, to meet Lenora. But instead, he ended up walking past the swimming pool into the garage. She's like, imagine that huge house and you're choosing to meet up in the garage. But realized what he was doing he and so she marched right into the house to catch the two of them in the act and when she walked in she got as far as the kitchen before she said the bitch ran in and she looked really scared at first she thought it was because of herself but then she noticed lenora's hands her hands were bloody she didn't say anything at first But she just stared, and they heard a scream from upstairs echoing down the service stairs. And she said it was either Mrs. Hope or the younger daughter. So Lenora's in front of her, bloody hands. They hear a scream. It was definitely a woman. And so Lenora grabbed a knife from the kitchen counter, said, Get out right now. She said nothing. Bernice just left because she was too scared to do anything. She knew something awful was about to happen. So she thinks about it a lot, how if she refused, maybe Lenora would have killed her on the spot or maybe the other killings would not have taken place. Maybe anyone could have been saved. And so Bernice didn't tell anyone this was to protect Ricardo because she knew that it couldn't possibly have just been Lenora responsible for those murders. He had to be a part of it. He disappeared. She knew that that's what had happened after the murders and He just kind of had to live with that. And she protected him all these years because she did genuinely love him. You know, she described Lenora as manipulative. Lenora probably gave him a sob story about her cruel parents and Ricardo believed it. And then Kit goes, yeah. And then after that, he ran away. And Bernice said, no, sweetie. Lenora killed him too. And she's... Kit's reeling over this information. She's like, what the fuck? What's happening? This is crazy. And so she can't imagine Lenora doing any of this, like, killing not just her father mother or sister, but also her lover. And then she thought back to the letter, like, I wasn't a good girl, not in the least, and you'll see for yourself very soon. So she knew she had gotten rid of the knife. She knew she had made no attempts to hide that. But she started to believe that she was actually innocent, and Bernice just kind of brought her right back down to reality of the brutal killings that had taken place. And so... Bernice shattered all of her assumptions. She doesn't know, though. Bernice could be lying. And so, you know, if Lenora murdered Ricardo, why wasn't his body found? And so Bernice said, you know, she shoved him off the terrace, long drop to the ocean. This stops Kit, and she's like, this doesn't really make sense. Like, why would she make her accomplice disappear? So Lenora was being questioned by the police. She sent Archie to give Bernice the money. And she felt really bad for him because he's barely 18. He had to fire everyone that he worked with after everything that just happened. Got to the cottage, just handed her a check. And that check kept coming and it never stopped. So, you know, she told Bernice that the money's about to be turned off because either you go to the police or I will. And Bernice says, well, it looks like they're already here. And who walks in other than Detective Vic, who says, come with me, Kit. You know, you shouldn't be here. And he takes her out, says that she's trespassing. Bernice said, you know, it's fine. She just asked me a few questions. And as Detective Vic is dragging Kit
1: out of the room, Bernice said, tell Lenora I said hello and that I'll see her in hell. So Detective Vic is dragging Kit out and Kit's reeling with this information, right? Like, just like, you can let me go now. I won't go bother Bernice anymore, but you'll want to know what she has to say. And Detective Vic's like, the police already talked to her, like, 54 years ago you know he says like yep i looked at the case file bernice didn't have anything to say other than her husband hadn't come home Kit's like well yeah she was lying like if you went back in there and did your job they kind of go back a little bit go back and forth and kit reveals that she was there asking about ricardo mayhew says that bernice thinks that he did it you know did like committed the murders with lenora's help detective is like so what do you think kit And she says, I think something happened that night beyond the murders of three people and the disappearance of another. Something that either instated the violence or was the result of it. Ask them, you know, what else does the police report say? And Detective Vic reveals that the caller said two people were dead at Hope's end. And Kit's like, wait, two? Detective Vic's like, yeah, that's what the report says. Um, Eleonora Hope was the caller. And Kit's like, well, yeah, if she was innocent, of course she'd be the one calling, right? So she's thinking back to, like, the pages that Lenora typed and where Lenora said, like, the thing that she has nightmares about the most were her on the terrace, the bloody knife washed clean by the rain and she tossed it into the ocean below. And her screaming, her sister screaming inside the house. And Virginia, who was still alive, and then Lenora went to the garage to fetch some rope. You know, so that's what she's recalling that letter, right, that we, um, one of the first typewritten letters. And so Kit's kind of reeling, like, She's here with a headache like, you know, sounds like Virginia was collateral damage, like stumbling in the wrong place at the wrong time. Detective Vic continues on and says the police responding to the scene found the gate open, they entered the house, and Evangeline Hope was on the staircase landing, Um, Winston Hope was in the billiard room, and Virginia Hope was hanging in the chandelier. She just thinks like Bernice is right, and that Lenore is guilty. And so Detective X says, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Hope were declared dead at the scene and Virginia was taken upstairs. And Kit's like, yep, also dead, right? And Detective Vicks like, nope, uh, not for another six months. Six months. Not for another six months. Yeah. And so Kit's shocked at this, right? Like, she assumed Virginia died the same night as her parents did. Kit's like, but why did no one, you know, um, suspect Ricardo Mayhew? And Detective Vic's like, they did once everyone realized he was gone and not coming back, but there was just nothing to prove that's what happened. And Kit's like, well, did somebody ask Lenora? Detective detective's like, yep. And Lenora had no idea who he was. Her story was always the same, that Lenora didn't see anything, didn't hear anything, and never saw a soul inside the house other than her family. Kit's like, well, that's one lie. Like, she saw Bernice, who in the kitchen with blood on her hands as she grabbed a knife. And like, that makes Kit pause too, like, wait that doesn't make sense like if loranora was guilty how would there be blood on her hands before she got the knife so then they're like well then there must be more than one knife used detective's like yep only one knife was missing from the kitchen like um all the stab wounds cuts everything were roughly the same width suggesting only one weapon and it's like i feel like kit's like pausing right like she's like wait all this information like all at once and me as the reader i'm like Wait, what is happening? Like, I'm convinced Lenora is the killer. Like, Lenora? Detective Vic's, like, um, Virginia Hope's room had been recently cleaned. Like, they smelled floor polish. And so, you know, this headache that Kit has is just growing. Mine is too, girl. I feel you. So Kit, like, says, you know, since they couldn't prove or disprove that Ricardo did it, and since they couldn't do the same with Lenora, the case just solved... And Detective Vic's like, yep, sound familiar. And Kit's just like, fuck you. Like, nope, I'm done. And Detective Vic is just so over it. He's like, you know, Kit, like, Mary Milton wasn't murdered. And Detective Vic is so sure of it. And he's like, you know, here, a copy of Mary's suicide note. It was found with her body. Kit looks at this letter. And it is one sentence. I'm sorry I'm not the person you thought I was. But... Now that she sees it, she sees that it's from the typewriter. So she knows that this is not Mary's suicide letter. It's something else, typed by someone else. And she knows exactly what it means. Literally from this chapter to the end,
0: I the amount of times I went, wait, what? Hold on, I'm sorry. What's happening? Wait. <laughs> From here on out, I know we warned at the beginning, but I'm going to warn right now. If you were in this story and you want to find out what happens and be surprised on your own, you can still back out. From here to the end is nonstop twists and turns. So this is your opportunity. You have been warned. For everyone else, let's strap on in. So... Kit gets back to Hope's End. She gets inside. She stops at the family portraits on the wall. And she pauses a moment to take a look at Lenora. And so she's looking at her, and she recognizes this is very clearly the woman that she's been taking care of. The green eyes, the the nose, her mouth, everything. That, it, this is very much Lenora. There's a lot of years in between them, but it's unmistakably the woman that she has been caring for. So she heads to the first portrait in the row and she uses her car keys to pop into the covering and she starts digging around ripping it open and she likens the the silk to like a wet sound and she wonders if that's what like the blade sounded like against winston's winston hope's throat which i was like (laughs) oh that's a little rough but underneath the fabric is Winston Hope, looking like exactly how she expected him to. Smug and a little pudgy and all of this greed kind of emanating off of him. So she moves over to the next portrait. She repeats the steps, she goes through, she rips off that silk crate, and this shows Evangeline Hope. So really beautiful. Pale skin, Slim, elegant, all the things that were used to describe her mother. This just kind of natural beauty that they have. Even though there's something about it, there's something, like, not quite right about her. And, you know, it seemed she said it seemed like she might be fragile. But, unlike her husband, Kit says in her thoughts, Evangeline Hope looks very much like she knew what was coming. There's only one portrait left virginia so she she digs into this portrait ripping it open and she sees a young woman sitting there who looks kind of like her mother absolutely not like her father and super pretty right in her own individual type of way she comes off like kind of a forced-ish smile and there are her eyes an icy blue And that makes her think about what Bernice Mayhew said about Ricardo. When Lenora batted her eyes at him. Batted her big blue eyes at him. So she's freaking out. She's like, okay. Goes into the library. Goes up to the fireplace where we had those vases that are actually urns. And she starts reaching from the lids, going down the line, starting on the left. And inside, the first one, it's a pile of dull gray powder, which is a person. They're cremated remains. She goes to the second urn, lifts the lid, does the same thing, cremated remains. And she's on the third, third urn. And she's kind of spiraling a little bit. She's freaking out. She ends up lifting it up. She looks inside, and that urn is completely empty. There are no ashes in the third urn.
1: My heart is racing. And I, I know, like, already know like, what's happening. Like <laughs> I know, and I don't want to read it like, obviously
0: word for word. But like, if you read this, the feeling—it's again—that's that Riley Sager, like the staccato writing, the every line. The I f- felt the porcelain um, against my palm. Dust in the stale air. The yellow pages of the books, like. The way that he writes it, the way that the pacing just kind of builds and builds, it feels like a cinematic experience on the page. And it's so hard to, I feel like it's so hard to pull that off. And that's why Riley Sager is truly Mm -hmm. one of my favorite authors. But yeah, I like, I feel anxious right now. And when I was reading it, I was very
1: anxious. Yes. So... As our listeners, we hate to do this to you, but um, we are going to leave it on, you know, like hope's end on a cliffhanger for you. So we recommend in these next few days to pick up the book and read from page 305 on if you have the hardcover copy so you can listen with us and unfold these twists and turns that are about to happen exactly we just had so much to talk about and
0: unfortunately it was a little too much to fit into one episode so like hannah said we're sorry to leave you with a cliffhanger we're not really sorry but we'll catch you back here in a few days and you can find out what's happening at hope's end with us all the way through